it's, it really is an honor to be here. I love Jennings. I was never one of the kids that was like, I can't wait to graduate and get out of Jennings. I love Jennings. I still love Jennings. Um, and for years and years and years, I prayed for this town. God met me in this town. This is where I gave my heart to the Lord. This is where God met me. Not, it wasn't even in a church service. God, God met me not in a church service, but when I was going to go tell people in the parking lot, y'all remember back in the day, see, I, I always have to explain this to people, but if you're from, how many y'all from Jennings? Come on, raise your hand. That's good. How many y'all from Lake Arthur? We got any Lake Arthur folks? Come on, Lake Arthur, a good place to live. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> now y'all like nature's beauty spot, what is it, like the Cindy Crawford of, of cities? I don't know. Sorry. I love Lake Arthur. I spent a lot of time in Lake Arthur. I really did, hunting. I, I promised him that I would not tell jokes about Lake Arthur, though, but there's some good ones out there. I'm just saying. People from Lake Arthur can't remember them because they drank so much, but uh, I'm, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> Don't throw stuff at me. He told me to say it. <laughs> no. Um, y'all remember, I don't know if y'all do, back in high school, like, the thing to do on any night of the week, but particularly the weekend and, and really the thing, it was really the only thing to do in Jennings was to drive the strip. How many of y'all rode the strip growing up? Man, I was with some friends and we were going to go do an outreach to the, to the teenagers that are, that are going on the strip at, at, and I'm 14 years old. I'm about to go into, into high school at Jennings High and I do not, my mama made me go. My mom's like, oh, no, all them kids getting together, y'all going to go tell people about Jesus on the strip right out there? You going? I'm like, Mom, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. My mama made me go. And we're praying before we go. We hold hands. And, like, I'd given my heart to the Lord, and it was for real. But as we held hands to pray to go witness to people on the strip and Jennings, tell people about Jesus, which even though I love Jesus, I didn't want to tell nobody about him. <laughs> y'all know what I'm talking about. Don't act like you don't. And I'm like, I'm going to school, and I'm going to all these, these sophomores and juniors and seniors. I'm going to tell them about Jesus. I'm holding the hands, and I'm mad. I don't want to do it. And as we held hands and the leaders started to pray, God very clearly whispered to me. He said, this is what you're going to do with your life. I did not know what that meant. I had no clue what that, what that really meant. But I knew that when God spoke that to me, I received it, and I meant it, even though he said it. I never thought I'd be a pastor. That wasn't in the cards. That wasn't the plan. My daddy's plan was for me to go into medicine and practice with him. But that wasn't God's plan. And for quite a few years, I didn't know what God's plan was, but I live by Psalms 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And God, and maybe you're here and you need to hear this, God often just illuminates the next step. Like we want God, your word is a lamp to my feet and a Q-beam so I can see 20 years down the road and shoot that deer. Some of y'all, all right, we in church. I'm not even going to ask because it's on Facebook Live. <laughs> I never got in trouble with the law, but twice the Department of Wildlife and Fisheries showed up at my house. <laughs> Nobody going to give me an amen on that? Come on, this Jennings Lake Arthur, don't lie to me. In that moment where God spoke to me, it changed the direction of my life. And I'm here today because of that. And I prayed 
a ton for Jennings. And what, listen to me, what God is doing here is not insignificant. It's huge. It's powerful. And it's really just the beginning. Listen, y'all are a regional church. You already are a regional church. But just as God spoke to Isaiah and said, stretch out the tent pegs, this is what God is saying to you. Get ready to grow. You may think, oh, he's talking about numbers of people in church, and ultimately it will be that. But my heart for you today is that you can grow. Because as you grow, everybody around you grows. And as you grow in your walk with God, the people around you are going to see, man, something's different in that person. There's like a surety and a confidence. They know who they are. They know what they're supposed to be doing in life. The relationships are healthy. What is that? It'll only be a matter of time and you speaking and stepping out, and they'll come to Christ. And my heart today is that you grow. And you grow in an understanding of what, of what it means to live in a healthy covenant relationship, whether that's in your marriage, whether that's in your family, whether that's a covenant God-ordained friendship. I pray today that you can grow into the person that God's called you to be in the covenant relationships that you have. So we live in a world that's transactional. Like if, if I go to the store and uh, let's say, let's say I go to Java Jolts. Y'all love some Java Jolts? Yeah. I love coffee. They have the be- y'all have the best coffee shop in the region, I promise. Y'all really do. Y'all, y'all smoke everybody, even in Lake Charles. And people in Lake Charles that are listening to me right now, I love y'all, but like Java Jolts got it going on. <clears throat> when I go to Java Jolts, they're all super happy and, nice, happy and nice and wonderful, and I love them, and it's great. And I, I want black coffee. Pastor Joshua is a little sissy drink with all the fancy stuff in it. <laughs> That's true. Wait, is that true? Uh, I'd like a caramel wildflower macchiato, a little bit of cinnamon. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Hey, y'all know I'm playing because y'all know that's a man right there. He picked up hunting last year. It was amazing. (laughs) Joking. When you, go to, when you go to a coffee shop, let's say you go to Java Jolts, they're super happy, they're wonderful, they have great coffee, and I'm like, I would like a large Americana. Let's just espresso and water, because apparently I'm not man enough just to drink the straight espresso, if that makes you feel better. I want, I want a large Americana. And they're like, absolutely. And if I just stood there, they would just stand there. What are they waiting for? What are they waiting for? They're waiting for me to pay, aren't they? Because this is a transactional relationship. Like, I want coffee, they want to be paid. Or is either one of those bad? No. Transactional relationships aren't bad. They're just how people live their life. <clears throat> See, the problem is, is that if you live your covenant relationships with a transactional mentality, you're going to be disappointed because sometime, at some point, somebody in that covenant relationship, whether it's a parent or a child or a spouse or a friend, your expectations are going to be here, but they're going to meet you here. In Java Jolts, if I said, I would like a coffee, and they'd be like, okay, no problem. That'll be $4, $3, whatever it is. It'll be $3, and I just stood there, and like, yeah, but I don't want to pay that. Oh, well, that's nice, but it is $3. I mean, eventually they're going to kick me out because I'm not, I'm not here. Because it's transactional in nature. Flip that around. I pay my $3, but they, they give me a cup of water in a dirty cup. I'm, that doesn't, do, y- do y'all see the problem? 
So transactional relationships are based on meeting where you are together. And here's the funny thing. In covenant relationship, there's always a transactional aspect of it. But if it's this and this or this and this, it doesn't matter. Because what covers a covenantal relationship is this circular promise that says, I, it doesn't matter what happens, I am here for you. I am here for you. I promise. It's the promise that makes the ring, which is why we exchange rings in our wedding vows. Because it's a promise. Today, I want you to grow in your understanding of what it means to live in a covenantal relationship. And we're going to look at the relationship between Jonathan and 1 Samuel and David. <coughs> Excuse me. David, you know the story of David and Come on, everybody, everybody knows the story of David and David kills a giant, and ultimately he becomes king. But I want to give a little backstory on that. You see, David was just a kid. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible, and I've always like, loved David and identified with David. But in this story, I want us to look at Jonathan. But David's just a kid. He's maybe 13, 14 years old, and his brothers are, are, have been called up to serve in, in the army because the Philistines have attacked, and, and there's a standoff. In the valley of Elah, the Philistines are on one side, the nation of Israel is on the other. But they're at a stalemate because every morning, this nine-foot-tall giant comes out to curse the nation of Israel, curse the army, curse the king, who's King Saul, and curse God. All of the nation of Israel is scared to death because this dude's like nine-foot-tall. And he curses them and says, somebody come and fight me. And if you win, we've, we've lost the war and you've won. But if I win, we've won and you've lost. This has gone on for day after day after day after day. And finally, David is sent by his dad to go bring food to his brothers. And he wakes up that morning. He, had, he was a shepherd, so he spent his time with the sheep, watching sheep. So he wakes up in the morning watching sheep. His father calls him, gives him the food, go bring it to your brothers at the battlefield. And he brings it to his brothers, and, and he shows up just about the time that Goliath begins to taunt and scream and curse God. And David sees things differently, and he hears things differently, and you know the story. He ends up facing the giant. He grabs his, his slingshot. Do, do you all know the story? Yeah. He swings it. And that rock flies and catches Goliath right here in the head. This is an epic story. And Goliath stumbles and he falls, bam, face down. I don't know if the rock killed him, but what happened next definitely did. Because this kid that, that nobody wanted to face the giant, but this kid faces the giant. Catches him with the rock, falls down. David walks up to him, grabs Goliath's own sword, and hacks his head off. Then, with the onlookers on both the, the Philistine side and the, the Israeli side, both like with their jaws dropped, what happened? This kid just hacked off the head of this nine-foot giant. He beat the giant. David grabs the head in one hand by the hair, bloody. A nasty mess. I know, I love this story. Y'all don't love this story? Man, y'all love this story. Has Goliath's sword in the other hand and walks into the tent of the king and presents to the king, the king who refused to go out and fight the giant, the king 
who the Bible says was head and shoulders taller than every other person in the country. He himself was a very large man. He was anointed and called by God to be king and to lead the nation of Israel. But he abdicated to a 14-year-old boy that's now standing in front of him with the head of a giant in one hand and the giant's sword in the other. Is that not an awesome, awesome picture? I love it. It's like the ultimate mic drop. Like, here you go, king. Bink. And in that moment, something happens. And it happens in the heart of the king's son, the prince, Jonathan. Because Jonathan, King Saul's son, is in that tent. And he, walks, uh, he watches David walk up and present his father with the trophies of war. And I can't help but think, that Jonathan had to be thinking to himself, who is this kid? Who, he faced the giant that my daddy didn't. Let's turn to 1 Samuel chapter 18. And it picks up at this moment in the story. <clears throat> it says, after David had finished talking with Saul, the king. Now remember, he's just presented him the head and the sword of Goliath. He met Jonathan, the king's son, and there was an immediate bond between them, for Jonathan loved David. And from that day on, Saul kept David with him and wouldn't let him return home. So he ends up, he woke up with the sheep, but that night he's sleeping in the palace. And Jonathan made a solemn pact with David because he loved him as he loved himself. Look at that. Jonathan... <clears throat> Jonathan made a solemn pact with David. This is the beginning of a covenant relationship. And my heart for you is that you can see what it looks like to walk in a healthy covenant from somebody that God's placed in your life that you know is divine. If you're married, that's your spouse. If you've got parents, if you've got children, that's your parents, that's your kids. If you've got a friendship that you know is from the Lord, that's them. This story shows us how we are to live in a covenant relationship. So this story is about Jonathan, because in this story, Jonathan represents us. Everybody wants to be a David. Like, how many of y'all grew up and, and you heard the story of David and Goliath, and you put yourself in David's shoes? I did. Like, I was, like, in my mind, I'm like, I'm David. <clears throat> but I really believe that we can look at the life of Jonathan and his relationship with David and glean from it. And here's what we can glean Jonathan made a solemn pact with David. There was something that happened in a moment. And just as, as everything changed for David, it did for Jonathan too. It changed for David because he went from being a shepherd kid to being a hero. I mean, they even wrote songs about him. I mean, he, he, was, he was an amazing guy. They wrote songs that were pretty, y'all want to hear one? No, I'm, I'm going to have to wait. Y'all going to have to wait. <laughs> Pastor Josh, I, I'm going to give you the mic in just a minute. You can sing it. <laughs> Jonathan made a solemn pact with David because he loved him as he loved himself. I want you to see that Jonathan made a choice. Were there emotions attached? Absolutely. But at the end of the day, love is not an emotion. It's a choice. And so is covenant relationship. I've been, married, I've been happily married for over 10 years. But I've been married for 22, so <laughs> y'all figure that one out. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? Nobody get that. They're like, what? I don't understand. 
I've been happily married for over 10 years, but I've been married for 22 years. You know what that means? That was, that, it means that there was 12 years that my wife had to choose to stay with me because I was so stupid. <laughs> See, nobody's laughing, Pastor Joe. The men aren't laughing because they're like, oh, dang it, now I'm in trouble. <laughs> because covenant relationship is a choice. It's the promise that makes the difference. And when you make the promise in covenant relationship, we can see in the next verse what it means. Let's read the next verse. Verse 4. And Jonathan made a solemn pact with David, and because he loved him himself, Jonathan sealed the pact by taking off his robe and giving it to David, together with his tunic, his sword, his bow, and his belt. Listen to me. If you think that, that your relationship's not right and you're married, you think that your relationship's not right and you, got a, a, what you know what, what you thought was a God-ordained friendship, that, that you, you look at your kids, you look at your parents, like you look at the relationships that you know are covenantal relationships, and you go, something's not right. Well, Jonathan today shows us what we can do to make them right on our end because you can't control anybody else he sealed the pact by taking off his robe and what's this word right here come on taking off his robe and this is the key to a healthy covenant relationship you give what did he give he gave his robe well i want to look at the things that he gave his robe his sword his bow his tunic his belt because they represent something for us. Here's what they represent. Jonathan gave David, David his robe. You know, Jonathan was a, a prince. And there was a robe. Like he wore the finest clothing that he could. Because he was the prince. And it represented something. So any, anytime anyone saw him, they saw him in, in the robe that he was wearing. Because it was a royal robe. Does this make sense to everybody? We all understand this, this principle. But, but Jonathan, in that moment, when he saw David and something happened and knew that this was a God-ordained special relationship, he sealed the pact by giving. Are you willing to give? Are you willing to give? Because every healthy relationship that you are in, two things. Number one, you are required to give. Number two, you can't be promised that the other person is going to give you anything in return. Ask my wife about that. She'll agree. Yeah, we've been happily married for over 10 years. But in first 12, let, let me just say this. I am where I am today and who I am today because of the love and faithfulness and amazingness of my wife because she embodied this. Jonathan gave his robe. That'd be like taking off the garment that, that identified him. And he gives it to David and he said, it's not about me. It's not about me. I value you more than me. I don't care how people view me. I don't need to be the prince. I don't need to be anything or anybody. I'm concerned that you are somebody because I know that God placed you in my life and it's not so that I can get something from you. It's because God called me to give to you and I give you the best that I have. He gave him his robe. Do you do that? This is an example. Jonathan's an example. He gave his robe. The next thing that he gave was his tunic. That's his undergarment. But it wasn't just a, a simple like t-shirt. Because he was a prince and there was the constant threat of somebody attempting assassination on his father or him, it was a, a coat of mail. Like it, was, it would have been armor. It would have been a type of armor. And he takes that armor off and he gives it to David. This is all in a moment. This is how he sealed the pact. 
He gave the, this armor. What, what does that say? It's saying to David and everybody that was there, I will always live vulnerably before you. I will never try and protect myself from you. Where do covenant relationships go wrong? Because you, you begin to, to mistrust the other person and you try to protect yourself from it. Listen to me, we're called to guard our heart, but in the God-ordained covenant relationships, we better be willing to take off that hard exterior and let the other person see the real us. His robe, his tunic, he gave him his sword. What's a sword used for? I mean, we're talking battlefield situation. That's used to kill the enemy. But Jonathan says, I'm giving you my sword because I will never attack you. So what's your sword? I know what my sword is and definitely was in those 12 years in my marriage. My sword was my mouth. Conflict situations, confrontational situations. I can't recall a single time when I walked away from one of those moments where I was in the flesh because it was a fleshly confrontational situation and I walked away defeated because I was like, man, I should have said that. That really got him. I never had that problem because in the moment, like all of these things would come to my brain and they were like zingers. Like they were like, they were like, you ever been jabbed in the nose? I have. It hurts. It's painful. It brings tears to your eyes. That's what my tongue was like with people around me. Like, you confront me? All right, baby, here it goes. Because I took out the sword of my tongue and went, and cut you up. I never walked away like, oh, man, I should have said that. I walked away going, oh, my gosh. I can't believe I said that. God had to really deal with me. Listen, your greatest strength is almost always your greatest weakness. And when you're in your flesh, the enemy uses your strength and your gifting from God. He uses it for his purposes because it's the greatest perversion you can imagine. The thing that God's gifted you with and called you to and wants to use is the very thing the enemy relishes in and turning it around for darkness and for evil and destruction and hurting people. I hope this makes sense to you guys. So what's your sword? Maybe it's a sideways comment. Maybe a comment. Maybe you don't have the gift of gab. Maybe you can't think of something witty to say on the spot to put people in their place. But maybe you can like act in a certain way and, and be that whole passive aggressive thing that messes with people's minds. I don't know. What's your sword? I've never been passive aggressive. I've just been aggressive aggressive. <laughs> Turns out they're both bad because you're using what God's given you to hurt somebody else. Jonathan gave that away. Are you willing to give that away? Growing up, my daddy said one thing to me over and over more than anything else. Son, you're going to learn have to, you're gonna have to learn how to shut up over and over. You know what? My daddy was really smart. What's your sword? He didn't just give his robe, his identity, his protection, his weapon. He also gave his bow, which was provision. That's what you used to hunt with. You hunt with people. Uh, you'd hunt, hunt with that. You'd provide for your family, provide for the people in your life. And Jonathan is saying to David, I will always provide for you. This is what we do in covenant relationship. <clears throat> 
the last thing is his belt. Belt holds everything together. And what holds everything together in relationship is truth. In Ephesians chapter 6, it talks about the armor of God and it talks about the belt of truth. The depth of your relationship is the degree to which you can speak truth in that relationship. Are you willing to give your identity? To give up your your self-protection and be vulnerable? Are you willing to give up the thing that you use to defend yourself and, and hurt others? Are you willing to provide? Are you willing to speak truth? This is what Jonathan gives up. This is the foundation of what we're called to give in a covenant relationship. But I want you to know this truth. Here it is. You ready? It's very simple. You can say, I've done this. Great, because this is what's going to happen next. And if you've been married for any length of time, it's already happened. You're going to know this, that all covenant relationships will be tested. All covenant relationships that you have are going to be tested. Every deep, meaningful, God-ordained relationship that you have is going to undergo strain and stress and difficulty and trial is going to happen. It's, it's amazing to me the, the number of people that, that I've heard, look, mamas that are, that are, or want to be mamas that are, that are young and immature and they just, I just, I just, I just want, I want, I want a baby because I just want to be loved. And, and I'm like, wow, because they just don't understand the very simple truth that, that babies don't give love. They take it. They take it. Any covenant relationship we have, it's going to be tested, and you're going to want to stop giving all of those things. And you're like, I'm taking my identity back. Uh, you know what? I think I'm going to have to protect myself now. Um, uh, you know what? Uh, maybe, I need to, maybe I need to put this sword out and keep you at bay because things aren't like they used to be. Maybe I have to provide for myself now, and maybe I just need to remain quiet and not speak the truth. They're all going to be tested. This happened with, with David and Jonathan because as David excelled at everything that God called him to, Saul became very, very jealous. It started with David defeating Goliath, and, and they did write songs about, do y'all want to hear the songs that they wrote? Because I, I made it up in my head. It may be crazy. No? Okay. All right. I won't sing it. No, I'm going to sing it. Y'all want to hear it? Come on, y'all got to help me out here. Y'all like a bunch of stuffy white folk. I'm just saying, y'all got to like loosen up and talk back to me. I'm not used to like, man, who's he talking? Y'all don't talk like that. Y'all from Jennings. I'm from, like, I'm in Lake Charles now. They do talk like that. No, y'all talk like that. I miss that. I got one set of, I got one married couple of Cajuns in my church, and I got one old Cajun. I was going to say something else, but can you say that in church? It's for true though, right? I started getting nervous. People, I'm on Facebook Live. They're going to be like, that pastor cussing. That's not a curse word. It's just a reality. You are RCA. I get it. It started with David defeating Goliath. And the minstrels started to sing songs. Everything that David did, he excelled at. So Saul kept putting him over more and more. Ultimately, he's over the whole army. And the minstrels sing... Saul has killed his thousands, and David has killed his 
tens of thousands, which is totally not true. But the king gets all insecure and jealous, and he tries to kill David. And for eight years, David lives on the run. Every day, the king is trying to kill him. And he hasn't seen his friend that he made those promises with that for a short season they were so close. He hasn't seen Jonathan in over eight years. Let's look at chapter 23 because something happens in chapter 23. David seems to be at the end of his rope. He's ready to give up. And you have to think, eight years and his best friend's dad's been trying to kill him. Do you think that that would stress out any relationship? Verse 14 says, David stayed in the strongholds in the wilderness and in the hill country of Ziph. And Saul hunted him day after day. This is eight years. But God didn't let Saul find him. And one day, near Horesh, David received the news that Saul was on his way to Ziph to search for him and kill him. And Jonathan went to find David and encourage him to stay strong in his faith in God. Don't be afraid, Jonathan reassured him. My father will never find you. You are going to be the next king of Israel, and I will be next to you, as my father Saul is well aware. Here's the four things that Jonathan did. When your covenant relationships are, going, are tested, and they will be tested, you have to know these four things. And you have to do what Jonathan did. Here's the first one. Jonathan went to David in the wilderness. He went to find David in the wilderness. I'm just going to read that again. It says, David went to find David, and he encouraged him. Are you willing to not just give of yourself to the other person when you see that they are in the wilderness and they're lost, they're wandering, they're exhausted, they're worn out? Are you willing to go find them? Jonathan went to find David in the wilderness. Here's the second thing that Jonathan did. Jonathan encouraged David to stay strong in his faith. Do you do that? You know, my, my, one of my problems, many problems, one of my problems was in our marriage was I always wanted to fix everything. I saw that my wife was depressed, and, or, or not that she was hardly ever depressed, or struggling with something or dealing with an issue, and I'd be like, well, have you done this? Have you done this? Have you done this? Have you done this? Huh? Because, like, maybe if you tried this, 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 and this, maybe things would be a little bit different, right? Do you know how well that worked? It was terrible. When you take the time to go to the person that you were called to, when you see they're in a tough spot, and you see them in the wilderness, go to them. Pray with them. Pray for them. Encourage them. Men, do you pray for your wives? Do you encourage them? Do you speak life and truth, men, to your wives? Do we do this in our covenant relationships? Do you go? Are you the one that says, I'm going to go? I'm, I'm going to be the one that makes the first move to put things on the right path because I see there's a problem. Are you the one who encourages in faith and says, God's with you. You can do this. Don't ever doubt. Here's the third, third thing. He calmed David's fears. That's what it says. It says, he calmed David. It says, don't be afraid, Jonathan reassured him. Do you speak God's truth into the situation? Isaiah 41.10, fear not, for I am with you, says the Lord. Do you do that? Do you calm fears? 
or do you just try to fix it? And here's the fourth and final thing. He reminded David of his call to greatness. He reminded David of his call to greatness. Who was supposed to be king? Who was the rightful heir to the throne? David or Jonathan? Jonathan was. And yet Jonathan says, don't be afraid. My father will never find you. You are going to be the king of Israel. And I will be next to you. As my father Saul is well aware. And the next verse says, so the two of them renewed their solemn pact before the Lord. Jonathan returned home while David stayed at the porch. This is what struck me about this story. Not that it was a story of covenant relationship. We see that. But what struck me is that Jonathan only ever gave. David was the one who What does that say to you and to me? The responsibility that I have in my relationship is to give God's best to the person that I've made the promises to. Give God's best. I found this to be very true, though. You know, God spoke to me. And I don't say that lightly. Out of Acts 20. And it says, and we know that Jesus said, it's better to give than to receive. But the revelation that God gave me regarding me, and I think it applies to all of us, is that if you are unable to receive from God, You'll always have trouble giving. Giving in your relationships, giving of your time, giving of your money, giving of yourself. Last two truths and I'm done. Covenant relationships begin with giving. It's only half of it though. This is the bigger half. Covenant relationships are established by receiving. When you receive from God, He's your source of security. He's your source of life. Not a human. It's very easy to give. I'm going to pray for you guys. Father, I just pray that there's just a spirit of reception from you today. This room is a room full of givers. Not because they feel it's their duty, but because out of an overflow of your goodness and your grace and your power in their life, they're able to give the best of themselves because the best of them has been received in your goodness and your grace. In Jesus' name.